This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. to you. If you're new here, uh, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, welcome. It's, it's, uh, thanks for coming out and worshiping with us on, uh, on a holiday weekend. It's good to, uh, you had a lot of options, as I say. You know, you could have flown many airlines, but you chose to fly with us, and so we're grateful that you'd be here today. We're in a mini-series on the theme of generosity, and uh, while I'm not apt to promote any messages that I've done, uh, the message from last week, if you weren't here it, it, and you're part of the church, it'd be important to listen to that because that message is the grounding of uh, what we're communicating in the other couple of messages on generosity. Because last week we did a survey of the scripture of all the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We did a survey of the scripture and kind of saw a biblical, uh, the, how the biblical story is built on the idea that God is generous. And so we looked at God's generosity to us and said, boy, that's really what we would understand. And in many ways, we need practical help, but practical help's of no good if we don't get the starting place right, that God is generous and he's been generous to us. And because of his generosity to us, that changes our lives so that we desire to be generous with others. Uh, so... Uh, please go back and listen to that uh, from the website if you weren't here last week. But today we're going to talk about flourishing through generosity. So we're going to look at Acts 20, Acts 20, and um, we're going to look at verses uh, 28 through 35. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. If you'd grab that um, and uh, go to page 542, page 542, and uh, let's listen to God's word. This, the context of this is Paul is speaking to the elders at a church that he had started in Ephesus, and these are his very last words to them. Actually, it says through 35. I'm going to read the three verses after that so you can see uh, the emotional impact of his words um, up on this church. So let's listen. This is God's word. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that... uh, Yeah, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask for clear minds, open hearts, and willing wills. Lord, give us the will to respond to you. Lord, help us to see Christ afresh in his generosity. And Lord, by your spirit, form us into his image as we read this passage. Help us to walk out of here today and apply what we hear, we pray, so that we are not merely hearers, but that we are hearers and doers. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 35, he quotes Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is a statement of Jesus that is found in none of the Gospels. 
It's not in the gospel. So it was an oral tradition that was passed down that Jesus said this. And it must have been a very well-known statement of Jesus because if you notice Paul's words in uh, Ephesians, I mean, in verse 35, he says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said. So this is something they're familiar with, they've heard, and this is what he leaves them with. It's more blessed to give than to receive. This is the high point This is the culmination. This is the summary sentence of everything he says to these elders. It started back in verse 17. Uh, We didn't read all that, but it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to them, he said, and then he begins the speech that he gave them. So he is on his way to Jerusalem, and he stops in Miletus. He's about 30 miles from Ephesus, and he calls, sends a messenger and calls for all of them to come. And then he gives this long statement. We only read some of it to them. He gives them a final exhortation, a final charge. And the final charge of the final charge is it's more blessed to give than to receive. This is really a defining statement about the Christian life. If you wanted to look at a defining statement about what does sanctification look like, what does it mean to follow Jesus, what does discipleship look like in all of life, you'd be hard-pressed to find a verse of Scripture that provides a better summary than this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I heard a story about a decade ago. A pastor was preaching, and uh, he told the story to his church. Uh, this was a pastor of a mega church, very large church, and he described how during the week he went for lunch to a restaurant right across from their church building. And as he went to the restaurant, he said, hey, could I speak to the manager and called the manager over and he said, listen, I'm the pastor of the church across the street and I'm just wondering if you get much business from our church. Um, do, do our people come over here on, on Sundays after our services for lunch? And the manager said, oh, yeah, we know people, all, it's packed with people from the church across the street on Sundays. And he asked this question, he said, well, can I ask you this, and please be very honest with me, do our people tip well? Do our people tip well? And the guy said, well, honestly, they tip terribly. It's so bad, I have trouble getting servers on a Sunday to serve because they don't want to serve the church people who tip so poorly. And he said, well, I'm very sorry about that. And he went back and he talked to his elders. And he shortly returned later with, I don't remember the amount, but with a check to the restaurant for thousands. I don't remember the amount, but it was in the thousands. He said, we're going to give you thousands of dollars. Would you please divide this up among the servers on Sunday and ask them to please accept my apology. And then I want to let you know I'll be correcting the church on this. Why did he do that? Because the quintessential picture of the person who has met Jesus is the person who is generous with all of their lives. It's an oxymoron to to say a phrase like stingy Christian, cheap believer, selfish disciple, hoarding Jesus follower, self-oriented Uh, uh, believer. The the believer is the person that gives freely to others. He went on to correct them and is saying that, you know, well, maybe you say, well, we get bad service. Well, you know what? You gave bad service to God, and he graciously saved you by his mercy. The point is, how do you graciously express? He said, if you pray at your table, you better really tip well. If you're outing yourself as a believer, you better really tip well. Why? Because the world is watching the Christian life, and it is the Christian. And he went on and said a lot of other things, too. You should always, as a Christian, offer to pick up the check because Jesus picked up your eternal check. There's very, very practical expressions of generosity. The statement is huge. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And and let me tell you why it's so huge contextually. 
It's huge contextually because Paul loved this church. He was well, very familiar with this church. He had spent three years planting this church in Ephesus. He had been away for a year, and now he's going to Jerusalem where he'll be arrested and die. And so this is a church that's very near to him and very dear to him, and he's sharing his final moment with them. And his last, these are last words. He can't make a phone call, can't send him an email, shoot him a text. This is it. These are his final words. And his final words are to live a radically generous life. The context of the saying, his last words, the context amplify the importance Have you ever had someone you love that shared last words with you and how you treasure those and remember those? I remember a phone call with my mom where she sounded terrible. It was, I was in the middle of the afternoon and she said, I was in California, she was in Houston. She said, I'm going to see the doctor. I feel really, really bad. I think I have pneumonia. And I, somebody's having to come pick me up and drive me. I can't even drive. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And we chatted back and forth. And then the last thing she said was, well, I love you. I love you too. That night I'm sitting at home. I get a phone call that she coded, get on an airplane and get home. Didn't know if she was going to live or if she was going to die. I land, get to the hospital and found out at 3 a.m. she died. But her last words were to me, I love you. Last words matter. And his last word, he says, the last thing I want you to hear from me to these leaders, it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's another reason that this is so notable. Because the exhortation here, and this is surprising, between verses 17 and 38 is the speech he gives. It's the only speech Paul gives in the whole book of Acts to Christians exclusively to Christians. There's no speech recorded of Paul in the book of Acts that's um, exclusively to believers. He's either defending himself, he's preaching the gospel. So when he gets a group of believers, Christians together, what does he say to them? When he gets these leaders together, what does he say to them? He says, the main thing I want to leave you with, my one Christian speech recorded in the book of Acts, it's better to give You'll be more blessed. It's more blessed rather to give than to receive. As Eugene Peterson translates it in the message, you're far happier giving than getting. You're far happier giving than getting. Well, given the significance of these words, only Christian speech, last words, given those significance, we want to understand what it means. What does it mean? What does the word blessed mean or blessed you could say they're both correct pronunciations. And for here, maybe it's more natural to read. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We typically say, hey, to a person, hey, you're blessed. I say, hey, I'm, I'm blessed. Fill in the blank. You know, I'm blessed. I did not say I'm blessed, right? That sounds like a status of holiness or something like a saint. <laughs> Unusual. The blessed Pastor Craig. You know, that, that sounds really odd and inappropriate and... Uh, but it's true, I am blessed by God, so it is true, but it sounds odd. So I'm going to use blessed as a pronunciation, but blessed or blessed are both correct. It sounds like a religious word, doesn't it? Blessed. But it's not just a religious word, it's common in the vernacular of our culture. If you listen, people will talk about being blessed. Unbelievers, will, people that don't believe in Jesus um, or who aren't religious, don't believe in another faith, they'll talk about being blessed. You know, I feel blessed to have this job. Well, you're so good at your job. Well, I just feel blessed to have this job. Someone who's not thinking about God could say that. Or I'm so blessed to have my family, have a loving family. Um, It's used as a way to communicate, uh, I feel fortunate. I feel lucky to have this job. I feel lucky to have a loving family. I feel like things have really gone my way. I don't deserve this. Fate's been good to me but I'm blessed. So unbelievers will use it that way. Hashtag blessed is a famous uh, hashtag in social media. 
But Christians often use it the very same way. We use it in a way that it means I have something uh, that I'm happy about, something that I have received that I am grateful for. The difference for the Christian is that we're, we see God behind it and would say that we believe that God has provided this job for me. I'm blessed to have this job means God provided this job. I'm blessed to have a loving family means God has provided a loving family for me. But whether believer or unbeliever, we use it in, in, a, in a very similar way. It means I'm experiencing something that I'm grateful for or happy about. And that is an appropriate way to speak of blessing. God blesses us. But the kind of blessing that Jesus is speaking about here is different. It's different than that. It's more than receiving something good. He is speaking of a state of being. He is speaking of a way of living, the blessed life. Blessed not by what you receive, but because you are able to give. Sometimes the word blessed is translated happy, and that's a fair translation. It does mean that. It is a fair translation. It it underscores Jesus' sort of upside-down kingdom, which says that happiness is not found in acquiring, but happiness is found in distributing what you have. But the blessed life is more than happiness. There is a fuller concept behind the idea of blessed than I just received something or that I'm happy. There's something fuller behind that, and it's the idea of flourishing. It's the idea that, it, 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 that, 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 that uh, it, your, your life is one filled with purpose and with meaning. Your life is the way it was designed by God to be lived. You are flourishing when you are giving as a lifestyle rather than receiving. There's actually a different biblical word in the original that's used when it speaks of God blessing a person. So... Um, God blessed Abraham. That's a different word uh, than would be used here. The word used here is the same word we find in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. There it says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so what he's doing in the, there in the Sermon on the Mount is he's opening up this kingdom value system. And he's saying, if you want to flourish in life, if you want to experience God's abundant life, if you want to live life the way it's designed to be lived, then be a person who is merciful. Be a person who makes peace. Be a person who is poor in spirit. That is the good life. That's, that's the whole Sermon on the Mount. We're going to talk about that this fall. But the whole Sermon on the Mount is built on a reframing of the definition of the good life. It is the person who gives. It is the person who is oriented towards God and to others. It is the person who thirsts for hungers and thirsts for righteousness. This is true flourishing according to Jesus. That's the word. That, that's the concept and the idea that's behind this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Theologian Jonathan Pennington says this. He's a professor at Southern Seminary in Kentucky. He says, when the Bible makes claims about who is truly happy and blessed, it is casting a vision for a way of being in the world that will result in true human flourishing. These are statements that inform us how to orient ourselves and reframe our understanding of what it means to really live the good life, to have genuine well-being individually and in society. Human flourishing, which the Bible can describe as blessing, comes to us only through God. You experience real well-being when you're living a life oriented to giving and not receiving is what he's saying. In saying that it's more blessed to give than to receive, Jesus is reframing our entire understanding of life. He's giving us a view of life that's counterintuitive. It's the exact opposite of the culture. And if we're honest, it's the exact opposite of the natural drift of our hearts. He's saying that you must be shaped by the gospel and then orient all of life towards what you can give, not what you can receive. 
shaped by the generous God, shaped by the gospel, what God has done for us freely. And then by that, we are reoriented towards life is about what I can give, not what I can receive. The big takeaway from Paul's only recorded speech to Christians in the book of Acts is this, blessed living is about giving. That's what he says. He quotes Jesus, blessed living is about giving. So let's look at the exhortation that he leaves them with, because we're going to see at least three ways that Paul talks about generosity in this passage. He begins in verses 28 and 29, telling them to pay careful attention to the flock. It's his last statement with these over, last time with these overseers. Pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to the people of God that you're shepherding, um, because... God obtained them with his own blood. He's talking about the church is precious to Jesus. He gave his very life, bled and died for the church. So take care of the, the people of God because Jesus gave for them. So he tells them that. Um, that's the greatest generosity ever, the greatest sacrifice ever. Uh, he's reminding them that you don't win God's favor by being generous, by sacrificing, by watching over, by serving. You don't gain God's favor. You gain God's favor because Jesus gave, watched over, sacrificed, served you. That's how you receive God's favor, and from there you give. Our generosity is a response to his. And then he leaves them with this memory of his example, verse 31. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The first giving Paul speaks about in these verses that we're looking at is the giving of his time. That's what he says. I I gave you night and day. I didn't cease to give night and day. For three years, he admonished, he taught them, he instructed them, he corrected them, he pointed them to Christ, he modeled for them night and day. Now, I know we are not Paul. I know there's something unique about what he's doing. He's taking the gospel where it's never been before. Okay, I get, that's unusual. He's planting churches. He's writing scripture. Therefore, he's doing some things that no one in the room is doing. But... But having said that, uh, it's more blessed to give than receive applies to all of us. And there's something in his example here that I, believe, uh, that I believe connects to our lives. And I believe connects to our lives very importantly. And it's this, my time was not my own. When I was with you, I want you to remember, he's saying to the elders, I want you to remember my example. When I was with you, my time was not my own. I gave all my time to God and to others. I gave night and day. I wasn't selfish with my time, but I spent my time. I invested my time. I offered my time because real life is found in giving and not getting. The call of God on all of us is about giving and not getting. And one of the primary resources he has given us is our time. And he said, I spent that resource for you. This is a type of generosity that we rarely hear talked about. We rarely hear addressed. We rarely hear taught about this, the, the, the investment, the sacrifice, the offering of our time. But it is more blessed to give time than to receive time from someone else. This is a type of generosity that though we don't hear about in our hectic really frenetic kind of a pace, the busy suburban Frisco existence that we all live. Time is a precious commodity for most people, and most people feel like they're running short on it. Some of you in the room are living with a schedule that is so full, you have no margin in your life, no rest, no break, Maybe you'll get time off tomorrow, but life is packed. And here's the reality. When it tum- comes to giving, it would be a greater sacrifice for you to give your time than to give your money. It'd be a greater sacrifice. Some of us would rather write a fat check 
than volunteer an evening each week in serving someone. It would be easier. It would be less costly. Some would rather write a check to a church than give God their Sundays and attend weekly and serve. And that's not even generosity. That's the baseline. To attend weekly and serve would be baseline Christianity. That wouldn't be in the category of generosity. But even there, some would, would just rather give than of their money than of their time. Arguably, time is our greatest resource. And here's why I say that. You can, you can make more money, but you can't make more time. You can pick up a side hustle. You can get a second, third, fourth gig on the side. You can make some more money. You can get a windfall of some money that comes to you that you weren't expecting. You can make more money, but you cannot make more time. Paul would never have the three years of day and night back. Couldn't regain that. But he gave of himself. He offered it. I was with you night and day. If God were to visit our chaotic, time-wise, we, we live in a chaotic environment, I believe. If God were to visit our city with revival, and I pray he does, I believe one of the most noticeable things that would change instantly is how we use our time. I'm reading some about revival now, and uh, it's a subject I like to read on. But when I have read about historic revivals, People's time is totally reoriented. They, uh, they, often, they often spend extended periods of time, for instance, that they weren't spending before with the Lord himself privately. Uh, they often spend time reaching out and caring and serving other people, helping in a way that they hadn't before. They gather faithfully. You can't keep them apart from gathering to worship the Lord, to experience him, to hear from his word. Time. How do you use your time? How can you be generous with your time? What would that look like? If it's more blessed to give than to receive, and if arguably the most precious commodity because it's irreplaceable once used is time, how could you be generous with your time? Well, first of all, let me ask you this. Do you have a budget for your time? A budget for your time is called, we call it by something else, it's called a calendar. That's a budget. Just like a financial budget, which I'll talk very briefly about today and some about next week as well. But just like a financial budget, a budget of time means that we prioritize what God is calling us to do and then we put that on our calendar, ensuring that that gets taken care of. And then with what we have, we build margin into our calendar so that we have extra space for, we can use freely. I had a pastoral mentor walk me through an exercise, I think it was last year or the year before, um, challenging me to think of the top five to seven, I don't know why that number, but the top five to seven priorities in my life that I needed to, that I needed by God, that God was calling me to do. And then to get a blank calendar out of a week and then say, take those priorities and block them on the calendar in the, in, in to, and create an ideal week. Now, there is no ideal week, and as soon as you create one, it'll get messed up because something will happen unexpected. But it's a great exercise to say what's most important to me. Maybe that's an exercise that would serve you. What's most important to me? What's most important to me? There'd be a number of things on there for all of us. Our personal time with the Lord would be one. Our work would be one. Our personal time with our family would be one. Our involvement in our church would be, most, many of us would have a number of similar things. And if we take those things and put them on first on our calendar, I would say serving and giving would be one of the things that would be on there too. That's going to look different for each of us. But how am I giving time? And if you say, well, I tried an exercise like that, but I couldn't even, all the stuff I'm supposed to do, I couldn't even get into a week. Then you're doing too much stuff. You're trying to be God and accomplish too much stuff, and you need to repent, 
and say, I'm not God, you are. What are the few things that I'm called to do? And let's get those down and let's do those. So that the priorities of giving time can be there to others and I can have some margin for spontaneous opportunities to give of my time to someone else. How can we give of our time? Well, lots of ways you could serve with your time through hospitality, having folks in your home, offering to help someone practically at work, something you're not required to do, but that would be loving to serve someone else, volunteering your time to serve somewhere, getting to know a neighbor, especially someone that might be different than you, investing time. Well, it's just a neighbor. I mean, we're just kind of in and out. Yeah, but that's, God's placed you there. That's, that's valuable. God's placed me there. Serving our community in some practical way, tutoring a student who needs some help. I, I don't know what it would look like for each of us. But how am I taking what God's giving me, managing it, ordering it, budgeting it, so that I'm using it, I'm, so that I can give it portions of my life? Secondly, he gave his heart. Look at this, 30, verse 31. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. With tears. He gave himself to the people he was serving. If you give yourself to people by loving them, it will be costly, not only to your time, not only in some cases to your finances, but to your heart. Whenever you say, I'm willing to engage someone in a personal, meaningful way, we are saying, I'm willing to give up my comfort and my ease and to jump into someone else's mess who will also be willing to jump in to my mess. And that's what community in the church is, and that's what relationship outside of the church should involve with some people as well. Why are his admonitions tearful? Night and day I taught you guys and I was weeping. Why? Well, we don't know. He doesn't say. It could have been that some people weren't listening. Maybe they were resisting. Maybe some of the people initially believed but then started wandering. That could be a reason he was in tears. Maybe some were threatening him. I I don't know. Again, we're not doing the same thing that Paul is doing. But but the key is that relational generosity, it's better to give than to receive. It's better to pour out my life and take initiative with someone else than to wait for everybody to come be my friend and care for me. One approach is who's my friend, who likes me, who loves me, who's including me, who's inviting me, who's showing me attention, that's the world. Christianity is God has pursued me, God has been generous with me, God has graciously given himself to me. And, and now I'm, I'm entering this life that I'm called to flourish, that I'm called to uh, walk in a, uh, the life the way it was designed to be. And that means that I go and take initiative with other people, that I extend myself, that I invest emotional capital in others and with others. Relational generosity means we extend ourselves, we offer our ears, we offer our hearts, and that we are affected by what affects other people. That, that Paul said something very much like this. I was with tears, but Paul said something very much like this idea of relational generosity in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 2, this is what he says. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 Uh, verses 5 to 8. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you've become very dear to us. How did Paul relate? He extended himself. He says, here I extended myself. Not only did we offer you the gospel, but our very selves. Because you had become dear to us. I quoted just last week from a book called The Paradox 
The Generosity Paradox is a fantastic book. Uh, it is written by, um, I said it wasn't a Christian, but I, I went back and looked at it. And though the book is not Christian per se, it quotes all kinds of religions. Um, it's, it doesn't come off as a Christian book at all. But it, but it is, it was, the study was done by, the, by a sociologist from Notre Dame. So I'm assuming if he's from Notre Dame, I'm assuming he's Catholic, I don't know that. But so it, I may have been wrong when I said it had no Christian connection or anything like that. Um, but in there, they studied uh, well-being, self-reported, but scientifically done, people's well-being, people's happiness, uh, and this sort of thing. And they did it with all the areas of generosity. So they did it with financial generosity. Uh, they did it with, uh, they evaluated people's volunteering. They evaluated people's relational generosity. What I'm talking about right here, I was with tears. He gave his heart. They, they evaluated relational generosity. And then they went back and did all the study and said, how do people self-report? And the stats are unbelievable. By far the happiest people, uh, the, most, the people who sense the greatest well-being, the most purpose in their life, uh, was all people who gave the most in all of these areas. So it just, it just is a sociological study that tells us uh, we believe what Jesus says here, whether we have sociology to back it up or not, but the science matches. The science matches. But here's what I found. Listen to this. Here's, so I thought, how do you measure relational generosity? Here's 10 of the questions they asked, and then each person uh, re- ranked themselves on how, how much they did this. So it says, it focuses on pe- differences in people's attention to effort for and emotional investment in friends and families. Here's the questions they asked. When one, you had to rate yourself, how, how, how am I doing in this? A lot or little, you know, all the time or never. When one of my loved ones needs my attention, I really try to slow down and give them the time and help they need. Number two, I am known by family and friends as someone who makes time to pay attention to others' problems. Number three, I'm the kind of person who is willing to go the extra mile to help take care of my friends, relatives, and acquaintances. Number four, when friends or family members experience something upsetting or discouraging, I make a special point on being kind to them. Number five, when it comes to my personal relationships with others, I am a very generous person. Number six, it makes me very happy to give to other people in ways that meet their needs. Number seven, it is just as important to me that other people around me are happy and thriving as it is that I am happy and thriving. Number eight, my decisions are often based on concern for the welfare of others. Number nine, I am, I'm usually willing to risk my own feelings being hurt in the process if I stand a chance of helping someone in need. I'm willing to risk, that's a great word, I'm willing to risk my feelings being hurt if I can help someone in need. I make it a point, number ten, I make it a point to let my friends and family know how much I love and appreciate them. They ranked people, and those who were the strongest in those areas were the happiest people in the study. That's not even a Christian. There's nothing about Jesus. There's nothing about gospel. But how, how true that is. So where is God calling you to give your heart? Is there someone, I was, I was praying, preparing this, I wondered to ask this question. Is there someone you have hesitated to reach out to because you feel like it will cost you emotionally? I think that might be the person. I don't know your life, your setting, your situation. I can't make a blanket statement. But it's very likely, very likely, that's the person God does want you to reach out to. Because as you do, you will find life. As you give yours away, you will find life. Last, he gave his money. Look down at what he says uh, in verse 33. I coveted no one's gold or silver or apparel. You know, verse 34, yourselves, that these hands ministered to my necessity to those who were with me and to those who were with me. So normally when we think about it's, uh, it's more blessed to give than receive, we think about money, and that's, that's definitely true. Generosity includes our money. It's, not, it's, it's more than our money, but it's certainly not less than our money. And he starts with where we should always start, with the heart. We start with God. But then we look at our heart. I coveted no one's silver. What he's saying is gold or apparel. What he's saying is I didn't, coveting is desiring what God has provided for someone else, for myself. So he's saying I didn't desire other people's money. I didn't desire their apparel. I wasn't, coveting's in the family of greed. I wasn't greedy. I wasn't trying to receive. I 
have had my existence reframed by the gospel, so I was trying to give. I was looking for not opportunities to get, but to give. He didn't want people, he didn't want their clothing. He didn't covet their clothing. That's a very interesting statement, isn't it? What's he saying? He said, I didn't want, it's not like I was coveting style. It's not like I was coveting appearance. In today's sort of celebrity Christian leader culture, boy, that's even counterintuitive as well. While you were an apostle and you weren't stylish, you went like an uns- I don't even know if like an unstylish apostle could make it today. Is that even possible, you know? Does that even care? What's he saying? I didn't root my identity in stuff and things and my appearance. I wasn't drawing status. I wasn't chasing status. See, Paul was about, not about accumulating. Accumulating is, I want your gold and silver for myself. I want, the, you know, your clothing for myself. I, I didn't look at somebody who had more stuff than I did and just desire that for me. Instead, maybe celebrated that they had that or celebrated that that, was, that wasn't his identity. He was about distributing. My identity is not in how I look. I wasn't greedy. I didn't want money. I didn't want to receive your money. I didn't want to receive your admiration for my appearance. I wanted to focus on you. How did he do that? Well, here it's interesting. He said he worked to provide for himself. Isn't that normal? Well, Paul could have taken remuneration from them for what he did, but he didn't. He chose to work and to provide for his team through his work outside of the work he did for them. So he worked for them to the point that he could have received remuneration. He addresses that elsewhere in the New Testament. It would have been appropriate for him to do so, but he chose not to. He decided generosity in this case meant I'm not going to be greedy in my heart. The opposite of greed is generosity. I'm not going to be greedy in my heart, and I'm going to forego deserved payment from you. That will be generosity. Because the gospel had sort of adjusted his idea of the good life. He realized that flourishing life in life is to orient your life around the adventure of being part of God's generosity mission. That's living. How do we do that? Well, I think we allow the gospel to reframe our view of money just as Paul has done. Verse 32, before what I just read, he says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. He says, focus on grace. I'm leaving you with the word of God and the message of grace. And grace is built on a foundation. I'm sorry, the blessed life is built on the foundation of grace. The death and resurrection of Jesus, if it accomplishes anything uh, in, in life change in us, it should accomplish freeing us from the grip that we so easily make on money, security in what we own, identity in what we own, so that we can, in essence, flourish by helping other people flourish. That's the goal. And this starts with understanding what I mentioned last week. This starts with understanding God's generosity to us. This is where it starts. It starts, and that's why I recommended the book that's out there, Redeeming Money. We uh, put a slide up about that last week. Redeeming Money is out here uh, by the coffee area on the wall, the resources. It's, uh, it's a book written by Paul Tripp, but it's all about the heart. There's also a book out there that's, that's more practical in nature called The Money Challenge. They're both good. They're a one-two punch. You start with Tripp, and then you go to the other book, um, and you'll have fa- foundation of the heart, and then get the, get the skills to go with it. Um, but, but it starts with reframing our heart, that God has been generous to me, that I freely I have received, and now freely I want to give with all of my life. And here we've talked about our heart, our time, and our money. Secondly, I think, how do we do this is, he doesn't talk about this here, but I, I would say that we must plan for generosity, I talked about budgeting time, and the same is true with our finances. Many of the chaotic pace of life means for many of us, we're just the slave to what's next happening, and, this, and, and what's happening costs money. And so we don't have a budget of our time. It, we don't have a control of our time. We're not using it for God's glory, so we can't be generous with it. We're overwhelmed. 
And the same is true for the way it works in finances is like this. We're just whatever needs to be done. We don't ever stop, take stock, oversee, manage, plan, budget, uh, think, pray, evaluate, keep up with. We just kind of run ragged there too. We've got to have this over here. Okay, this costs that, that costs that. And we just kind of run around. And then just like we feel overwhelmed with no time, we feel overwhelmed with no money. And oftentimes not only with no money, but we're in a hole. We're in a hole in debt oftentimes. So both of these areas really work together. You kind of got to start by setting aside some time so that you can think about your money and get your money right. In some ways, that's the first button. Let me stop everything and let's go before the Lord. Let's do some reading. Let's do some study. Let's meet with somebody that can help us and get some counsel uh, from a friend or, or somebody that can help us and let's address this area. Because we tend to be so reactionary that our generosity is just like whatever's left over, that's what we'll sort of use to be generous towards God and towards others. I think many of us want to give of our time. I think most of us, maybe all of us, we want to give of our time. We want to give of our heart. We want to give of our money. But we're living out of control. And we've got to stop. And we have to address this in a very tangible way way. I don't think the main problem is that we don't want to be generous. I think the main problem is that we are reactionary rather than proactive. So we need a plan. We need a plan for getting out of debt. We need a plan for building some margin in our finances so that we can be generous. We're going to offer a class later this fall on finances. We've done this, I don't know how many times over the years, but we're going to do it again this fall. So listen for that because we don't want to just call you to something that Jesus calls you to without providing some tools. So we'll provide some, something for that to help you, help all of us uh, to live generously. So we plan to live generously. Number three, I think we, we're to be ready for spontaneous generosity. One of the benefits about having margin in the calendar and margin in our bank account is that then we're free to be spontaneous in serving others. Free to be spontaneous. I read a story this week about a couple. I was reading a book on generosity. I read a story about a couple, Christian couple in Nashville. And uh, they said they were coming out of a, a restaurant, the young couple. Coming out of a restaurant, it was a cold day, and this older couple the way the story was kind of told was like, okay, they, maybe they didn't want to have a conversation with this older couple. It was really cold outside or whatever. This older couple approaches them. Hey, I think we've seen you at church. And they went to a big church. And Yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe. And they started talking and started, uh, the older couple was just sort of drawing them out. And they kind of came around to finances. They came around to the fact that this couple was taking, the young couple was taking the finance class at church. And uh, the older couple said, how's the finance class at church going? They said, really good. We had $60,000 in debt. We've paid off fifty. We're down to $10,000 in debt. And the older couple said, wow. What are you going to do when you get out of debt? And the mom said, jokingly, kind of said, well, the main, first thing we're doing, buying a trampoline. We promised the kids a trampoline. but So we're going to do that as soon as we get out of debt. But what we really are hoping to do is we have a couple kids, maybe they had three kids, I don't know. We want to adopt, but we're committed to getting out of debt, and then adopting. So the next day, uh, they exchange some pleasantries. The next day, they get a contact from the older couple who has bought them a trampoline for the kids so that they didn't have to wait to get out of debt to buy them the trampoline. And they said, hey, can we come over? They want to watch the kids bounce on the trampoline or whatever. But the guy said, he told his wife, hey, can you just tell them no the house is a wreck we don't really feel like having anybody over but they were like really insistent and they were sweet and they were old so let's let them let's show some respect let's show some respect and uh so they came over and uh they started talking with them a little bit and then the lady pulls out the checkbook and says how do you spell your last name they said what are you doing well we we want to pay your ten thousand dollars off in debt so that you can adopt a child. They wrote him a check. They took it. He said that we were absolutely blown away. This couple that we didn't even want to take time for, that we just met at the restaurant, started talking, but they were listening to the Lord, and the Lord told them, pay off their debt so they can adopt. The guy said that nine months later, almost to the day, 
they adopted Mela into their family. And he said it was like God was saying, I have a baby for you out there now. I'm not waiting another two years until you pay off your debt. The baby was conceived virtually at the same time that this couple was paying off their debt so that they could adopt. If I don't have margin in my time so that I'm frantically running out of the restaurant 10 minutes late to the next appointment, and I don't have margin with my finances, and I don't live at a pace where I can listen to the Lord, even if I had the means, I might not ever miss that opportunity. And as blessed as the young couple was with the baby, I'm willing to wager, which you probably shouldn't bet in a sermon on generosity, but I'm willing <laughs> to bet that the older couple had as much joy as they did because they experienced what it means that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Last thing and I'm done. Oh yeah, I'm definitely done. Um, we want to grow in our giving. As I've been studying generosity, and not just money, money for sure, but these other topics as well, um, I have been challenged that I believe I've drifted personally from the joy of generosity so that my giving, my financial giving, has become sterile. It's just like, okay, yeah, do that. Okay, that amount, yeah, do that. It's not that I'm not giving or anything like that. I am, but it's just, it's just out there. It's just something I do. And my spontaneous generosity, it's not something I'm praying about, thinking about, leaning in towards on a daily basis. Maybe I don't have much to be generous with. Maybe you got 50 bucks you could be generous with this month. But what am I going to do with that 50 bucks? Who, who am I going to bless? Maybe after all my other obligations, who am I going to bless, you know? And I, giving with my time, I feel like as well. And it's even a situation or two where I'm aware of my own heart, like, oh, man, I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to go to that direction because it's like a hole that I'm going to get sucked into emotionally if I go there. So all of these areas, I've just realized I'm, I'm coasting. And the reality is that Jesus' value system based on the gospel, it's so opposed to our natural drift. And it's easy if we don't address this just to drift over here. Just drift away. Just get in me world. And even if we are giving some time and some money and some heart, we're not growing in that. I want to be growing in that. When I'm at a retired age or whatever, whatever it could be, I want to be the person that's looking for people to spontaneously, in essence, pay for their adoption. Don't you want to be that person? I want to be that person. Uh, because that's life. That is real life. God has called us to an abundance of life. We, in our culture, abundance of life means name and claim, and then you got something really nice sitting in your driveway or a nice house or nice clothes. But abundance is this couple. It's this example. It's giving to bless someone else. It's flourishing is living by the grace of God so that others may flourish. That's real blessing. And I want to grow, and I'm sure you want to grow. May God help us all grow. And it starts with taking a step. So what's your step? Everybody think of a step. What's your next step? Start with your, if you're married, with your spouse, with your calendar. Starting with your bank account. Starting with an investment. Who is the Lord speaking to you to reach out to, to speak with, or with a heart? Give of myself. I didn't just give you the gospel. I gave you, we gave ourselves. Who are you supposed to give yourself to? God wants to free us to live generously. Let's ask him. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.